this is Killer Physiology. I am Haley. And I'm Wes. Join us this week as we dive into the killer physiology of the human body. Welcome everyone to our podcast. Hello, this is officially the launch of Killer Physiology Podcast. This is super weird for us, but we are very excited to be here. We're talking about who exercise physiologists are, what they do, where do they work, who are they? How are you feeling today, Wes? I'm doing all right. I'm not going to lie, a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> you know, it feels weird. Like, I feel like for our point in our career to be like, oh, let's make a podcast, you know, because yeah. I feel like a lot of what we see is like people that have been in the field for a very long time. But that's kind of the whole point of why we're doing this. So Yeah, I feel <laughs> like we're becoming super confident as young professionals to even leap into something like this. Cause I definitely know people who have been in the field for a long time and don't necessarily do anything like this. So we're definitely younger in the side of career wise. And we're taking this big step forward. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool and exciting. Yeah, definitely. Like I feel like a lot of people I've worked with, they're like, Oh, I've, you know, had these same struggles as you, but like never really had anything to say about it. And yeah, I feel like it definitely would have been good stuff to know. Um, so that kind of leads into like the first thing we wanted to chat about today was why did we even create this podcast? You know, for me, the big inspiration was from my experiences. I started out in strength and conditioning before I wanted to go back to school for exercise physiology. Um, and a big thing there was that a lot of the stuff that we always heard were like the huge giant success stories, you know, like people mm -hmm. like Ron McKeefrey, he's like a giant, like strength and conditioning coach. He had some amazing opportunities. And I heard him speak at like conference I went to and it was awesome. It was great. But there was like 50 to 60 other people like me that were, you know, grad students that yeah. were like, oh, I'm going to get to have this opportunity. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, that like, that's just not realistic. No. Um, so I think my big goal, like setting out towards this was I wanted information to get out to people of like, what is it like to work in this field? You know, what opportunities are there? Can you expect those big, amazing opportunities? you know, or what does it look like if you don't have those? And that was kind of where I led into it. And then, you know, I met you when we started working together and, mm -hmm. you know, we had a lot of the same experiences and I was like, oh, let's, you know, I think we were just kind of talking one day about like, you know, different things we were interested in. And, you know, we had a lot of the same experiences and we were like, oh, this would be really cool if people knew about this. And so that was kind of why I was like, kind of interested in pursuing this more. Yeah, I, I agree. We were able to relate and agree on a lot, lot of items, um, specifically in our careers and the field outlook too. Um, we also agreed on a lot of things that aggravated us in the field. Um, yeah. It's funny to bond over things that make you angry. Um, we <laughs> kind of really connected there. Um, things that just were unrealistic or unfortunate um, about the things that um, came with becoming an exercise physiologist. Um, at the end of the day, we basically drew a conclusion that we have very similar outlooks on exercise science in the field. And we thought it would be easy to discuss them together um, on a platform, especially for all of you to hear while being educated um, about physiology and exercise science. Um, so that kind of leads into the goal of our um, podcast. We basically just want to create some sort of platform to educate others on science, movement, exercise, and our field as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Like, to me, I don't know, one thing I hate even just like outside of our field is when people act like something isn't like accessible to others, you know, and make it 
more difficult than it needs to be you mm -hmm. know I think like you and I do a really good job of like you know when we're talking about something of like yeah obviously we both like know the science behind a lot of the things that we work on and discuss but mm -hmm. you can also have a conversation where you're like not diving into those really hardcore science terms and break it down for people to understand and I think when I was like first looking at this field, like going from strength and conditioning to this, like I was definitely overwhelmed, like thinking like, oh, like, you know, what is blah, 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 you know, like, how do I learn about that? You know, mm -hmm. so not only is do we want to be speaking on like, what is it like to work in the field, but like breaking down some of those harder topics, you know, yeah. putting, putting it in simple terms of like, okay, if somebody has heart failure, what exactly does that mean? You know, how can they exercise? you know, and putting it in those basic terms for people, that was always like a big thing for me. Definitely. It is overwhelming. The schooling for this can be super overwhelming, long nights of studying, really hard concepts, yeah. specifically metabolism, hard <laughs> stuff, not yeah. easy. Metabolic um, equations, metabolic equations, everything. And it is, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy problem solving through it. I think it would just, I think it's just going to be so much fun for the both of us to educate others and think through the processes together on a platform, um, just to make it easier for everybody else. Um, and to, I don't know, just to kind of teach without teaching in front of a classroom. Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. I, I definitely enjoy that aspect of like being able to talk through things and, you know, like you said, kind of teach without teaching, um, you know, and also have the opportunity. Yeah, we're going to talk about the science of things. Obviously, we're going to be giving our opinions of things a little bit as well, mm -hmm. you know, because both of us, we've had different experiences that led us to this point, um, you know, and a lot of shared experiences, whether it was working in cardiac rehab or very similar grad programs, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, um, you know, so I think it's, it's gonna be a really cool opportunity. It is. Um, and we're excited. Definitely. 100%. Um, so I guess one, before we go too much further, like what is even an exercise physiologist? Um, you know, there's really like hardcore, like specified definitions, but the big thing is, is that we're allied health, health professionals. Um, basically we're trained to understand how different diseases affect the body and how those populations can benefit from exercise. Um, so basically we can take somebody that has a disease, we have an understanding of it take certain types of exercise testing where whether that could be you know metabolic testing functional testing like a stress test you know uh, you know treadmill test basically um biodex 1rm um functional testing whatever that could be and make an exercise plan for them you know every population has different contraindications that you have to be aware of different progressions that they need to have. And basically mm -hmm. we're trained to understand those and how to implement that with them. Yeah. We basically are helping people recover. It could be from open heart surgery to any sort of uh, lung surgery that they go through different populations. There's a lot of them that we're expected to know. Um, it could be overwhelming as well. Um, but basically our main goal is to give guidance on exercise, proper biomechanics, safety, um, education on their different diseases that they may have. Um, I like to give an example of a lot of patients going to a doctor's office, um, regarding exercise. Um, so for example, um, we have a patient going in, they're overweight, 
they're asking their doctor for guidance on improved health. And basically most doctors that I have um, had patients tell me about, tell me that the doctor responds that, oh, you just need to start exercising. You need to start walking. You need to get out there and start exercising. And that's where the conversation typically ends. And there's this gap in knowledge or gap in education towards the doctor and the patient. Yeah, what, is that patient, what is the patient going to do? They don't know. Like, there's so many people that don't know how to properly exercise, um, yeah. don't know how to keep themselves safe. Um, and the number of family members I've had that have had that exact conversation with the doctor and they're just like, yeah, the doctor told me I need to lose weight and stop and start exercising. Yeah. And it's like, well, you got to. How? How are they going to do that? <laughs> exactly. There's different there's different ways to do this. Um, by being healthy, people don't understand that you can't just like stop eating to lose weight. You have to lose weight at a certain, um, during a certain time period to keep yourself healthy. It's just super intimidating to go to a doctor's office, be overweight, have all these risk factors. The doctor tell you, Hey, you need to lose this much weight, or we're going to have to do a knee replacement or, Hey, your heart is getting weaker. You got to lose some weight. Well, what are you going to do? You're just going to tell them to go exercise. Because exercise yeah. is there, there's so much to it. You need, you need progression and you need lots of guidance, especially if you have um, different diseases to make sure you can get through it um, while maintaining your health. Um, definitely. They're and really good at go ahead, Wes. Oh, you're good. I, I definitely think <clears throat> it, there's just like a gap in the, like, I feel like a delivery of, oh yeah you know, that information to the patient you know I feel like you you and I both have talked about this a number of times we had somebody come into like cardiac rehab that had diabetes and it's like oh okay yeah. well this is my blood sugar and them not really understand or have a good understanding of why like a blood glucose of you know over 300 is bad you know mm -hmm. um or an understanding of like oh I'm eating you know I had a bunch of fruit this morning and you know a bagel like you know I thought like that was a pretty good breakfast and it's like mm -hmm. you can't you can't entirely fault the patient like yes you have to educate yourself a little bit but it, you have to wonder about some of those things because you know obviously fruit is a healthy thing but you know for somebody that has diabetes that's going to make your blood sugar go up so it's yeah I don't know I feel like the there's a gap in education sometimes for people. Yeah there's a lot of rhyme and reason behind exercise diet nutrition all of that um, doctors are really good at prescribing their meds, but I believe that they're not as good as prescribing exercise and how to give it to their patients. Um, and that's basically where we come in, um, as exercise physiologists with the background knowledge that we know of different populations, diseases, risk factors, and so forth. So that's basically yeah. where our career is at. Yeah, definitely. And it's, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, there's been some doctors that I've worked with that have like done really well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at my last job, uh, sure. there, there was, um, they had like basically what was called a heart failure bridge clinic. Um, and so he was a cardiologist that oversaw that. And so he was really good at, you know, taking these people that heart had heart failure and working with us and giving them different exercise guidelines, allowing their blood pressure to be, be a little bit lower, um, and still exercise because, you know, the big thing with heart failure is managing that fluid retention. And, you know, part of that is keeping them at a lower dry weight, um, you know, without all that fluid. So like there are some good ones, but it's, it, it is difficult because you also have some that just 
you know, they tell people what they have to do and that's kind of where it ends. So yeah. it is a cool opportunity that we have to be able to come in and kind of take our knowledge and say, okay, this is what the doctor wants you to do, but this is how we're going to do it. The other hard um, part about that is I think, so yeah, that's where we come in and that's where our expertise is and that's where we can help people. But the, how do, I don't even know if a lot of clinics and doctors even know that we exist to help them get the patient there. So it's like, how do we bring exercise physiologists into a PCP um, primary care situation where a doctor needs somebody to lose weight? Um, they have type two diabetes. They need help with education on how to eat, how to exercise because their uh, their blood glucose is everywhere. How do we get our foot in the door as like I don't know, some sort of like call this number. This is the person that you need to talk to. I don't know if that exists anywhere right now. And that's why this problem, I feel like continues. The only way people are necessarily getting exercise physiologist help is after they have a heart event somewhere in rehab where we're finally educating them. Well, that's not um, preventative medicine. That's afterwards. They've already had their event. So it's like, how do we get help to these people before that situation happens. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, I think one thing um, that gets tossed around a lot is like their, you know, the ACSM, which is, uh, for those that don't know, is the American College of Sports Medicine. Like that's one of the big governing bodies kind of of our field. If you get uh, the certified exercise physiologist or clinical exercise physiologist certification, you know, they're really trying to point us towards getting licensure to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's still something that's in the works, you know, so we're not like a billable health professional, you know, you can't say, oh, I need to get a referral to go see an exercise physiologist, you know, kind of yeah. like you were saying, it's typically in healthcare, you're going to be working in some type of rehab. So you're not typically seeing the person until after whatever event happened, which is is unfortunate for sure. Definitely. Um, you know, so with that, like, you know, what kind of environments, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit, but, you know, Haley, if you want to kind of speak on that a little bit more, um, you know, we kind of bounce around to different places, but yeah. So a lot of exercise physiologists tend to go to cardiac rehab or pulmonary rehab. Usually they're hand in hand. Um, I think a lot of physiologists do this, um, because a lot of the internships that you need or clinical hours that you need to graduate with different master's degrees and getting certifications, you need those clinical hours in these settings. So a lot of people graduate, feel comfortable, um, and just go right back into that. Um, I did the same thing. I mean, it's a comfortable way to get into your career and to start professionally. Yeah. I did the Um, same thing. Yeah. And then there's um, not too many people do it. It's um, a little, I feel like you don't really get a research position um, right out of school. I feel like that's a lot harder to obtain. I think Wes, you said you tried to. Yeah. Like I feel like I, I saw several and I applied to them um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and we'll kind of get into this, but like I, I graduated grad school for exercise physiology, like during peak pandemic. So like that obviously was a big uh, hindrance to job searching, but um, yeah, I applied for a research position and they're like, basically like, look, like we're really happy with your resume and your experience, but you haven't worked in research before, Yeah, you know, so and- it's, it's really hard to find those opportunities. I feel like. Yeah, I agree. So research you can definitely do. We do that now. Um, and I really do enjoy it, but as starting off, as soon as you graduate, 
it's not as popular. You can also go into cardiology clinics. Um, they have, sometimes they're like little small clinics here and there. A lot of the time you're performing stress testing there. So you're getting the patient on the treadmill running max VO twos, um, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, there's also uh, phase one. I don't know if anyone is familiar with that, but there's different phases when it comes to rehab. So there's phase one, which is um, you're upstairs as an inpatient. Um, for example, like right after your cardiac event, you're either in the ICU or the step-down unit trying to recover from that type of surgery um, or stent placement usually as well, different things. And we're going up there, we're exercising them, doing um, light walking, uh, different types of, we'll do like bicep curls with just your body weight, leg pushes, just to get yourself moving right after surgery. Yeah. Um, that I don't know is that popular, um, right out of school. Um, that is a stressful job. These people are really sick. So yeah. it's definitely hard graduating, um, with not that much experience. I mean, you have zero experience. I mean, you have your internship hours and clinical experience, but as soon as you become a professional, you basically are at rock bottom and yeah. it's really stressful to take care of a phase one patient by yourself. Yeah, um, that definitely. That is like, you know, I've heard from several people, you know, I've worked with or went to school with, you know, where it's like they've had, you know, not horror stories, but, you know, some different type of emergency situations. Yeah. Um, you know, even at my last job, like we had our phase one was a little weird. You know, we from cardiac rehab, we would go up and do kind of inpatient education. And that was what we considered our phase one. Um, but there was a EP that was hired just basically to do mm-hmm. kind of the typical phase one. Um you know, and like, she was kind of similar to me and you, like at that point, like a new grad and maybe been working for like four months, yeah. you know, and a person, you know, like went unconscious, like right after she finished walking him. And, yeah. you know, so like, that's really hard if you're a new grad, because it is. You, one, some people have never experienced that emergency, and they're not going to know how they react. Yeah, you know, and also you're going off of limited clinical experience. So uh-huh. it's it's just it is one of the more difficult areas I feel like to get started in. It is. It's scary too, because a lot of these people have a lines in, they have, they have these really, they just have, they're just all souped up on like vasosuppressors, all these medications. It's, it's a stressful experience. And these people are just really sick. So the last thing you want to do is accidentally hurt somebody go in with um, limited knowledge. So phase one, you can either be hired in cardiac rehab, like um, Wes's rehab, and then you go upstairs and you, um, you help out. Or sometimes they hire EPs, like Wes said, just to be the phase one EP walking them on the floor. Um, there's different uh, maintenance exercise programs as well that you can do as an EP. Um, they're hard though. I don't know if I've seen too many like as a job listing as just that. A lot yeah, of those, again, go with rehab. So you go to rehab, you work in the maintenance program or you go to rehab and you work in the phase one program. Yeah, definitely. I've never really seen like, specifically like phase three maintenance program, like job listings. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the time, a lot of EPs um, who have obtained their master's degree go back to school um, because there is a limited amount of things you can do in this career, um, which is a little unfortunate, I believe. So a lot of these people go back to school um, to become uh, physician assistants. They go back to school for nursing. Um, some of the time they go get their PhD to become a college professor. Um, so yeah, that's basically a lot of the things that you can do as an EP in your work environment or career. 
yeah i know i knew a couple of different people that were like oh i'm gonna use this as kind of like a jumping pad to go to pa oh, yeah. school mm-hmm. or you know different people that were like oh i'm gonna go back to school and be a nurse and it's like more power to nurses and the people that decided they want to go back and be a nurse um you know, that was just never really a direction that I wanted to take my Agreed. career, you know, like, Agreed. I think it's, it's a great job and I respect the people that do it, but it was just never where I wanted to go. Um, you know, one comparison, I feel like, I, I can't remember if it was one of my grad school professors or if it was one of the other EPs that I had, but to kind of put it in like simple terms of like comparison, or like, I would use this if somebody asked, like, so what is an exercise physiologist, you know? To me, like when you think of a physical therapist, their big understanding is how exercise and different movements can help with different orthopedic concerns. And obviously, there's a lot of other things that go into physical therapy as well. But you know, that's the big thing everybody thinks of. An exercise physiologist really understands how exercise can help your internal organs, you know, whether it's your lungs, your heart, it can help with kidney disease, with Parkinson's disease, you know, it's there's a lot of different areas where that can go into it. So that's one thing that I kind of like to kind of break it down in a, like a simpler term than, oh, we're an allied health professional. Because, you know, if you're just talking to somebody in cardiac rehab, they're not, they're gonna be like, well, what does that, what the hell does that mean? You know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I kind of mentioned it, you know, and Haley kind of talked about it as well. You know, when you're in grad school, you have clinical rotations or internships, um, And we were lucky in my program, uh, we had a bunch of different opportunities. So there were a couple of different research studies that were going on in our like building for our program. So there was one for like chronic kidney disease, Parkinson's disease. Um, And then we also had rotations with like adolescent bariatric prep, um, where that was much more of like a, an interview kind of job, if that makes sense. So like people were coming in with their parents or kids are coming in with their parents and uh, basically kind of discussing like, okay, what are your current exercise habits, things like that. Um, Kind of not trying to put off the person from having the bariatric surgery if they needed it, um, but trying to help like implement some of those lifestyle changes that can maybe aid in getting, you know, improving quality of life before, um, you know, that the kid was going to have that bariatric surgery. So I'll say for me, like that was a really difficult one. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like, cause when I was a kid, like I was definitely overweight, you know? And so like, and I think the big thing there for me is like, your parents are the ones that kind of control your diet or like your exercise habits a little bit. And like, I have no like hate for my, uh, for my family or anything, but like, you know, they're definitely the ones that influence that. Mm -hmm. So you know, you have these, you know, we had, there was like 10 or 11 year olds or like 14 year olds, I think was like when you could actually get the surgery, it was like 14 or so. And, you know, there was people that were like playing sports year round, but maybe like, we're just a tiny bit overweight. And it was like, okay, like, let's look at, um, you know, this bariatric surgery. And, you know, that's like a life changing surgery where your your diet then has to change. So, it's, it's interesting, the different fields that we can get into. It's mm-hmm. just, it's kind of crazy, but like the jobs for those are definitely a little bit more sparse. Um, definitely. You know, but kind of going back, you know, kind of the big differences like between nurses and EPs, you know, both work in a lot of the same settings, like cardiac rehab, um, cardiology offices, things like that. Um, you know, Haley, do you want to kind of talk about some of those differences? Yeah. So um, when you're in the setting of like 
cardiac rehab specifically, it's kind of hard to determine what the difference is between the nurse and what the EP is doing. I know obviously nurses in different environments can start um, different lines. They um, have a lot more education when it comes to things of that nature, like inpatient things. Um, But when it comes to working in a rehab setting, your responsibilities are almost identical. Um, I know for the job that I worked out, the first rehab that I was at, the job posting was exactly the same. Like you literally could print it out (laughs) and each bullet was exactly the same. You must obtain your ACLS. You must have your BLS. You should be able to do these different vitals, um, read running EKGs. Yeah. Um, act in in emergencies, be able to, um, uh, participate in a code blue if that needs to happen. They were identical. Um, but the Which, problem like, just just for anybody yeah. listening what is a code blue code blue is basically <laughs> um when you have a patient and their heart stops yeah so there's not really anything going on there and you have to act in that um, type of emergency with the training that you have um but a lot of times when you're working in that specific environment you're doing almost the same exact thing as a nurse and as an ep um, it's great because they have great knowledge when it comes to like medication, when they, when the patients have, um, questions about their certain medications, um, we know a little bit about meds, but it's more about meds that affect like their heart, their lungs, um, blood pressure, cholesterol, things like that. Yeah. Um, nurses have a great deeper understanding of that. And I give them great respect for that. Um, But when it comes down to the everyday job, it's not too much about medication and things like that. It's more about exercising them, um, taking vitals, making sure the EKG rhythm is okay and healthy for them to continue to exercise. So it's really hard sometimes to know you're working with a nurse doing the same exact um, thing in rehab, knowing you're making a significantly less amount of money than them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I agree. Like I had that same kind of, same kind of experience as you. Like, I think there are are some places and some nurses that like totally um, respect like our degree, like our degree, our position, like, okay, Hey, like your specialty is like exercise with some clinic with, you know, definitely a good amount of clinical knowledge, but you know, I'm going to lean on you for that. Like you lean on me for this. Like, and that's, and you have to blend those specialties. And, you know, at times that can be a bit difficult, you know, in, I mean, in big picture, like our position is still kind of new in the field of cardiac rehab, you know, prior to exercise physiologists, the big thing was like exercise specialists, which mm-hmm. sounds like a small distinction, but basically an exercise specialist, typically is somebody, it's only a bachelor's required position. Um, and a lot of bachelor's degrees only focus on like the exercise. Some are a little bit more clinical based, um, but exercise physiology typically leans a little bit harder into um that clinical side and it's Mm -hmm. you know a a step a little bit higher in that knowledge um you know so really it's just you know I think the big thing is just getting I feel like the longer we're working with nurses and doctors like trying to get them to have a better understanding of like oh this is this is what we went to school for this Mm -hmm. is this is the knowledge that we have um but yeah, I, I agree, you know, like the starting pay for an EP and cardiac rehab versus like the starting pay for a nurse, like granted, a lot of times you won't have a nurse coming straight, straight out of nursing school to start in cardiac rehab. A lot of times like they'll transition over. Yeah. Um. You know, I think like in my 
the cardiac rehab that I worked at the most, like we had a nurse come like get hired while I was there. And she was like in her thirties had worked um, on the open heart floor for a couple of years. So like her experience and knowledge was great coming down to that floor, but she was 100% like, okay, I don't have like this exercise experience. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and even then, like when clinical situations would come up, it was much more of like a, a discussion, you know, she would give like her, um, input and this is what she thought, but she would also look to us for like, okay, you guys are in here with them a lot more. That's great. What do you think? You know? Um, but then you also have some of those other nurses that are a little bit harder on, like I'm clinical. I know, Mm -hmm. you know, all these meds, I know these diseases more than you. Mm -hmm. Like I, this is what I think based off of that. And, um, you know, no hate towards them or anything, but it's, it's just trying to really like blend the two. Um, it is. I know I sound yeah. like a broken record with that, but it's like, no, but it's true. Getting, like, you, getting you it to have, work together. Yeah. You have master prepared EPs and nurses with a ton of experience on the floor. If you mesh yeah. those two together, it's like, it's great. I had my first rehab that I worked in. I was so grateful that our nurses were respected us they respected our opinion on exercise and progression they 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 respected our ekg interpretation sometimes yeah more than their own it was it was a great experience and then i worked um uh, part-time at at another rehab um just on the side and it was it was completely nurse run and it was hard it was hard to sit there with um the knowledge that i've obtained and not be able to necessarily like I could speak and give my opinion on what I feel like what is happening clinically, yeah. but it never felt heard. And it was so hard to work in. Yeah, it it's, it can be a, definitely a big challenge. You know, when I I worked as like a PRN, like fill in part time exercise specialist before I went back to grad school mm-hmm. um, at a cardiac rehab. And that was very much of like kind of that interdisciplinary team, you know, the nurses were there, but they also really were like, okay, this is your specialty. Like this is, we're going to let you kind of take the lead with that, you know, as long as we don't have a concern, Um, you know, and then the one that I worked in after grad school, again, it was kind of a mixture, you know, we had people that really worked well as a team. Others were a little bit um, harder on that clinical, like, okay, this is what I've known. I've worked in cardiac rehab for a long time. Um, This is what I expect, you know, um, like one thing was, was like for any, anybody coming in on like a new step, um, which is kind of like, it's for those that don't know, it's kind of like a recumbent, like seated kind mm-hmm. of stepping machine that gets your upper body working as well. Um, there, there was no reason for it, but every person that was on a new step for their warm up and cool down would have to use their legs only. Um, now for somebody that's using like higher resistance and things like that, like that might not be much of a problem, but if you're taking a more frail individual who's doing a level one for like 30 minutes on the mm-hmm. lip, on the new step, um, and you're taking their upper body then away for the warm of a cool down, that's harder, you know? Yeah. And so like, <laughs> like, I remember one time, like trying to break that down being like, look, like this is like, this is putting more demand on their muscles and their heart for their warm up and cool down than the actual workout is because yeah. they're using less mu- like le- less supporting muscles to help move the machine you know and i think it's just sometimes it's just like trying to figure out the way to kind of blend the two together yeah we all have our own different specialties we were all trained um different ways and educated but as soon as you mesh um our nurses and eps together i believe that it creates um 
such a better experience, especially for the patient. Um, you can't go in there thinking, you know, everything you have to work with, um, the other people around you, especially yeah. nurses as well. And as soon as you do, I think just having respect for each other, becoming a great team, it really makes the whole process enjoyable for everybody. And honestly, the patient wins the most, um, yeah. just from the blending of all of these different, um, brains, literally, um, to yeah. come up with the best scenarios. Yeah. 100%. Um, so the other thing, uh, that I feel like that we hear a lot is, you know, kind of what is the difference between us and like a personal trainer? Um, you know, and I think like big thing there is, is like physical tra personal trainers, like it's a great opportunity for people. Um, and some people love that. I know for me, that wasn't a really a route that I wanted to go. Mm -mm. Um, you know, but like, what are some of those big differences between the two? Yeah, I think the biggest difference between um, like personal trainers and EPs are the education level. Um, like Wes was saying, EPs, we um, most of the time, if you're the clinical exercise physiologist, you need to have obtained your master's degree. Um, and that just comes with a higher, higher level of like training um, of biomechanics. Um, yeah. Also, it goes into greater detail of exercise prescriptions, um, yeah. typically for diseased populations. Um, we can exercise healthy populations. It's always a little easier when you get somebody healthy in there and they don't have all these risk factors and things, but we are um, specifically trained to um, take care of, um, progress and prescribe exercise for individuals um, of all types of disease states. Um, I know we've mentioned a few before, but like Parkinson's disease, um, they can have MS, um, yeah. people even with asthma or COPD, um, diabetes is a huge one, obesity. Um, basically when you're prescribing exercise for people who have, um, any sort of disease, you have to look at the disease severity, um, the, the, the disease progression, what's happening inside the different risk factors they may have. Um, with age comes mobility problems as well. With age comes different metabolic diseases as well. The list can go on. You can get somebody in there um, who wants to learn how to exercise, which is diabetes, but they have all these different risk factors. They have hypertension. Their cholesterol is really high. Yeah. Um, they're not compliant with their medication. And you have to figure out how you're going to educate them, how you're going to have them safely exercise with the numbers they currently have and progress to keep this a lifestyle change so they can continue being healthy. Yeah. Um, I know for like, I know for me, like, cause um, you know, like I, like being a, like a coach kind of quote unquote, like, and then switching to this, it was like looking at like the training percentages for like, you know, different disease populations. It was like, well, this is like, to me, like, I remember initially being like, well, like, this isn't like really high training levels, mm -hmm. but if, once you have an understanding for those different diseases, you can really see like, okay, this is like a pretty tricky population that program oh, yeah. exercise for, you Definitely. know, and it's a lot to go into it. Yeah, I guess it just depends on like what if what you want to do too. If you want to be a trainer and you want to be a personal trainer and you want to be with a healthy athlete, you're going to be doing crazy workouts. You might, if you enjoy that, there's some sort of an adrenaline rush with them too when they get their high like yeah. new PR and they're they're squatting these insane weights and you're just like so proud of them, but also proud of yourself because you got them there. Um, yeah. that's really cool, but it is, it is unique to take care of people who are diseased and aren't going to be working at that high of a level, but it might be really hard for them. And then a few months later, you see incredible improvements. So it might not be right then and there when somebody's squatting and getting a new PR, but it might yeah. be later down the road after you help them get over this huge hurdle. 
Yeah, 100%. That like that was one of the big things that drew me back to like cardiac rehab and kind of this field was like seeing the benefits that you have. You know, I feel like a term that really got thrown at, around a lot in grad school and is used a lot by the ACSM is like exercise as medicine or exercise as oh, medicine, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and it's very true. Like you could have somebody come into cardiac rehab and be very detrained and mm-hmm. very kind of like down on themselves because they're not capable of doing very much. And then, you know, you have them there for typically like 36 sessions. And if they're very, if they're diligent with their exercise and putting in effort, like the, the change that you can see in that time is really awesome. It is for sure. All right. As an EP too, um, for example, we will get um, into the population of diabetes. I know we're talking about that a lot, but I mean, that is, I mean, half more than half the people that we see on a daily basis have diabetes. Um, If we're prescribing exercise for them, um, what you're going to want to know is what medication they're on, um, what type um, slow acting, fast acting, long acting, different types of insulins. You want to know um, what their sugar is in that moment. So you're taking a finger prick, figuring out what that is. You're figuring out what type of food did they eat? What did they have last night for dinner? What did they have for breakfast? Did they have breakfast? Yeah. Um, that all is going to influence what their sugar is. Um, so basically, uh, for example, you take a sugar, um, you want to determine um, all the things that I thought of. You have to think clinically what they ate for breakfast. Did they take their medicine? Did they take all of their medicine? Did they take it at the right time? Um, if they take insulin 30 minutes before their exercise, you're going to have to educate them next time not to do that because they're going to take their insulin. They're going to have their sugar drop. They're going to do an hour long workout with you and their sugar is going to continuously drop because exercise is going to act as a natural insulin as well. Yeah. So there's just so much that goes into being an EP. It's not just let's get this guy with type two diabetes. Is he feeling okay today? Yeah. Let's go exercise him. Yeah. No, there's so much more to it. It's, it's hard clinically. It makes you think clinically a lot of the time and you have to make decisions, um, based off of the unique patient that you have every single day. Yeah. 100%. And you know, without going too deep into it right now, you know, like first episode, we want, you know, we're not going too crazy deep into the yeah, science not part yet. of stuff, we have but a like, lot more yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot more to go into, but you know, with what Haley is saying, with like exercise is like a natural insulin, you know, your body has different energy systems that it utilizes for energy and, you know, blood glucose is basically, that's the primary first source of energy for your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they come in and they're like, oh, my sugar is this, like, you know, it's fine right now you know, and a lot of different programs that are cut off is they want you to be around like at a hundred for your blood glucose. Um, and it's hard if it's somebody's first visit, but if you've had them a couple of times and you've been checking their blood glucose and they're coming in a hundred and then with exercise, they're dropping down to 70. The big thing there is you don't want them to become symptomatic. You know, you don't want them to have that big low, And that's where you have to kind of educate the patient and saying like, look, this is why your blood sugar is dropping. So either you need to eat a little bit more at breakfast time, you know, having some healthy carbs, you know, whatever, you know, and the big thing there is we have to stay within our quote unquote, like scope of practice, but, you know, it's trying to educate that patient a little bit on why that's happening. And that's part of our job as well. Yeah. And everyone's unique. So you might have somebody come in, be able to eat a certain breakfast and their sugar is maintaining at a decent level the whole time. Or you might have somebody taking, eating the same exact breakfast, same exact um, 
amount of insulin that they're taking and they're just a continuous flow. So you know in your head, this person needs a juice at this time during the workout so they can be maintained throughout the workout so they're not dropping. You just have to remember clinically who you're working with, who your patient is, what their background is, what you know they're going to eat for breakfast. Yeah. Even though you know what they're supposed to eat for breakfast, it just all comes down to really knowing who your people are, what they're really going to do and how to attack it every single time they come in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so next I want to kind of talk about like, what is like a typical day? Um, you know, obviously it's not gonna be accurate for like every single person. Um, but to kind of start, like I worked in cardiac rehab for the past two years, um, prior to starting in research. Um, you know, with my experience, a lot of your day is, you're either watching uh, the monitoring system. <laughs> so like with us, we use um, what is called, a, it's an LSI monitor system, or I guess not us, cause that was my old job, but um, yeah. used a monitoring system and they can hold our system. The system I believe held up to 16 patients. Wow. Um, and so you'd be watching um, for different arrhythmias, any changes in rhythm and things mm -hmm. like that while they're exercising. Um, and I know for us, we had to like switch their exercise modality in the system, oh, yeah. Same. you know, so that way it reflected. So like, if you have a busy class, like you're, you're trying to keep track of everybody moving around the room, oh, yeah. um, you know, and making sure, uh, that you're staying on top of it, uh, with us, we, we kind of like color coded. So like, if somebody, uh, was like a known a flutter or that's, something that's like cool. that, we would color code. So it helped like, kind yeah. of like, okay, you don't have to worry because this person has, is suddenly a yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we didn't have LSI. We had Scott Care. Okay. I think it was. Yeah. Um, so we, there was no color coding. Oh, uh, yeah. Scott <laughs> that would have been so different. nice for my brain to <laughs> yeah. process. But yeah, the as an EP sitting behind the monitor and you have, we typically had no more than I think 12, okay. I think, running around. Um, but we had to get blood pressures on every single modality for every yeah. single patient. Really? Oh my word. We had That's people running around. You were behind the monitor. You had to get a blood pressure. You had to get an RPE. And if they were a pulmonary patient, you had to get an oxygen and, um, a dyspnea. How do you pronounce that word? Dyspnea. Dyspnea, yeah. um, type of, um, scale <laughs> as well. So you're getting all these, we basically had the monitor person and like four EPs running around with all these numbers on their head and then spewing them at you behind the monitor. It oh, wow. could get super yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did, did you, so you guys had cardiac and pulmonary together? We did. Okay. I know there's it, a fine line with that, especially with like insurance and stuff. Yeah. Um, I know some of the rehabs, they had to divide them. So yeah. there was a literal piece of tape between uh, the, okay. <laughs> the room being like, this is pulmonary rehab and this is huh. technically cardiac rehab. Yeah. We had ours blended together. Um, how about okay. you? Did you? We Unfortunately, we didn't have pulmonary rehab at, at, oh, really? that, at that location. Yeah, that was something we were working to get started but it kept like hitting certain roadblocks within mm. the hospital okay. um you know especially like with covid and things like that like you know extra money getting spent on things was kind of limited yeah. um you know but like we already had the space for it it was just trying to secure uh you know the different like you know each program whether it's cardiac or pulmonary has to have like a, a physician director so it was like kind of trying to secure those types of things um and we just hit a couple of roadblocks. Um, but when I left, they, they still had not started it. We basically do research with veterans. We work under a principal investigator and she's a scientist who comes up with all her lovely ideas mm -hmm. based off of different populations. And we implement and do the testing and research for her. 
Um, so Wes and I work on multiple studies right now, and our population and our research is um, mainly focused on individuals with HIV, obesity, cancer, um, and we have a new study coming up for individuals who have ever tested positive for COVID. Um, this is only my second career so far. I'm still very young EP yeah. um, with only, I would say, three years of experience out of school. But I believe this is like the best one so far. I really am enjoying it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I really, I really enjoy this job so far. Like, obviously, my journey in it is much uh, younger than yours. Um, yeah. But I enjoy kind of the day today, like no day necessarily looks the same, you know, some days we'll be at, we'll have two or three, um, you know, GXTs, you know, treadmill tests, other days, it's mainly we're working on some data entry or, you know, recruitment. Um, yeah. we, ha we still have gym days, which I think, I mean, quite honestly, for me, I think if that wasn't part of my week, like I would, I don't know that I would enjoy the job quite as much. I agree. Like that is, I agree. that's something that I just, I really enjoy, um, you know, working with people. That's like the big thing. And I mean, obviously you're still doing that for testing, but it's just different. It is different. Um, I think if you're an EP and you're looking to get into research, I think you need to definitely investigate who your principal investigator would be, where yeah. you're working at. Um, because like Wes said, if I was just doing data entry and recruitment, I would feel more like an admin more than an EP. Yeah. We are um, lucky enough to be able to go into the gym um, up to twice a week and use our clinical skills, basically like rehab. So it's like rehab um, with a less diseased um, population. Um, so a little less stressful, the amount of people coming in is a little less, but we still are able to use our EP knowledge and get that hint of rehab without working 40, 50 hours a week in rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm kind of the same way as you, like, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and I think I, I got a tremendous amount of experience and got to do tons of different things. Um, you know, I was there just over two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm not going to lie and say like, I loved every minute of it, you know, <laughs> um, but, but it, I can still see the value in a lot of the experience I got there. And there's, you know, relationships I built there with people oh, yeah. and like would, you know, happily work with some of those individuals again, if that opportunity like made sense in the future and maybe not necessarily cardiac rehab, but wherever yeah. it may be, um, you know, but I really, I always wanted to try research, you know, I, I, did it in grad school, um, you know, kind of similar to like our gym days where you're implementing the study protocol, um, you know, and I really wanted to have that experience again, because it was something that I enjoyed. And kind of like we talked about earlier on, the opportunities for research are a little bit harder to find. So when yeah. this job posting came up, I was like, well, I'm going to apply because I'm, you know, this is something I'm interested in. And it I will say one good thing about the cardiac rehab I worked in, we had like a kind of a, a bit of like a clinical advancement ladder. So like there was like an EP1, an EP2, That's nice. and, and an EP3. And like it was, it was, it was nice. Yeah. Like, because you could, you got a bit of a pay raise with each bump. Yeah. Got like different... Room for improvement and yeah. progression in the field. Exactly. Yeah. And that it can be some, one of the challenges with our position as well. But I was like, you know, if I like, if I make more step steps up, then like, it's not going to make sense to then try this job where like at the time the pay would have been a little bit 
different you know yeah. like so mm-hmm. i was like i really want to try this and you know it worked out and i've been enjoying it so far and you know now we're making cool. this podcast so it's it's pretty it's a good opportunity. it seems like it's working out i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> i hope so um so transitioning to our current careers right now you said that you're enjoying it yeah. um which is great i mean you're only been here for a little bit some of that might change you never know <laughs> no i'm yeah. kidding if i like it you should be able to like it um yeah i think so but there are hardships in working in government jobs and research jobs um it's a little nerve-wracking accepting a position like this because um, you're basically being paid through a grant, um, which is basically think of like a bank with a hundred dollars in it. And once that hundred dollars runs dry, you that's that's your money. So <laughs> I mean, we're talking salary um, amounts of money. So a lot more than just a hundred dollars, but um money is kind of like in a bank and you kind of hope it doesn't run dry. You hope your uh, principal investigator is continuously getting more grants. Yeah. Um, we work under a very awesome PI yeah. um, and she's been super successful in her career. So she keeps receiving more grant money. So lucky for Wes and I, <laughs> yeah, seriously. we will have a job continuing um, as long as those. Um, so for example, if your PI gets a grant for like four years, um, you are guaranteed to be working there unless, I mean, you do something yeah. otherwise <laughs> um, to be paid out through those four years. And typically you can, um, your PI can go in there and write for another year and they may be granted another year. So then your study yeah. becomes five years, but a lot of scientists have uh, multiple studies. So if you have one study and it eventually closes out because the time frame is over for it, um, another one is popping up and getting ready to get started. So yeah. you just have to keep in mind that that is um, kind of nerve wracking to accept a research position because you are being paid on grant money that is not guaranteed. Um, but so yeah. far it's worked out for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and and kind of like you were saying, like, yeah, it definitely is nerve wracking. But like, luckily with us, like the PI that we work under, like, there is one study that we both work on that is like getting close to its final year. Like, I'm yeah. a little fuzzy, but like, it's it's getting cl- close to getting that point. Close. And you know, but then we also have one that's like just getting started. You know, yeah. so it's like it it's nice because it's like you have them at different stages, and you're not like it's not like you're sitting there. Okay, this study is is in its last year, like. It's not like you're like, oh, like on the edge of your seat quite as yeah. much, which which is nice. Like we are lucky Definitely. in that regard for sure. Yeah. And PIs, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to come by. Like as a PI, it's hard to find somebody who um, a lot of the time they have, they could have research problems with the people that they hire. And it, I mean, it's their research. It's their paper that they're going to publish. Yeah. So I believe once they find people that... Um, are hardworking for them and have, have given them some success in the testing as um and testing and stuff. Um, they want to keep you. So as much as you want your job, they want to keep you as well because they want their research to be published um, with great evidence um, yeah. and testing. Um, the other thing you have to keep in mind is if you're going to a government job, um, there's so many security measures that you need to yeah. Um, go into so expect to <laughs> wait about six to eight months for clearances fingerprints yeah. to all go through um Wes and I have both been struggling with that I did at the very beginning um just keep that in mind sometimes you have to wait six months and not be paid sometimes you can wait the six months and be paid but not be doing too much so yeah. if you're an EP looking to go into research specifically government jobs um, definitely keep that in mind yeah, because like the weird thing about like the job that we both have right now is we are hired through a university and yeah. but then we work with veterans. So it's yeah. it's kind of trying to blend those two together. 
it is that's like the hold up kind of like Haley was saying, like saying is there certain paperwork and fingerprinting that has to get processed to work with veterans yeah. um and that can be the big hold up like correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like um when i know some of the eps that are hired directly for the, uh like the veterans like in mm-hmm. the federal government like it's almost like a six month like wait period. It so it's, it's a like, six okay. month wait period of you applied, you got accepted, but you have to sit, yeah. sit down and wait for six months. We're not paying you. You just got to hold on tight while we get this all figured out. So yeah. the process is it's tough sometimes. So just, just definitely keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, like Wes was saying, we are working with veterans and I'm very grateful that I have this experience. Um, this is the first time I'm working with them in my entire life. I mean, here and there in rehab, you'll get your, your veteran, but working um, with veterans as a whole, that is your population. Those are the people yeah. you're taking care of. It's a unique experience. Um, I noticed um, with schooling, it doesn't prepare you specifically for veterans who are experiencing PTSD, uh, mental instability, um, or interaction with war vets, vets that went to war and experienced the worst. Yeah, um, it has been a huge transition from working in a rehab. It's where a big change. It's a huge change, and you get it's hard to work with people who have experienced things that we can't even comprehend, and you yeah. have to take care of them. Um, luckily, our work provides training on it. Um, so it's just it's a big heads up. Um, grad school doesn't prepare you for a lot of the mental instability side of things. If you get people with that, I'm very, um, still fresh and new on this entire concept of how to handle these situations, how to help, how to help these people mentally. Um, I think it's a big limitation right now for EPs in their um, degrees. I know not everybody will go into a situation where they'll see people who need um, mental health, but there are a lot of EPs that do as well. So yeah. I think it's a little bit of a barrier. Luckily, our job does have training and help us on it. Um, but on the other hand of that, I think some of the vets that I have met are one of the most respectful people ever. They yeah, are they so are. grateful, they're caring, and they they truly know what the definition of utmost respect is. So yeah. that has been a privilege to see and work with. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, you know, obviously huge differences between like what we do now versus what we did in cardiac rehab, but like Mm -hmm. the overall, like just appreciation, I feel like for what we do with them. And obviously like, we're not like, like, we're not doctors. Like I know, like, and we're not like actively like safe, like doing things that are like saving their life necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like this is research. Um, but they're very appreciative of the support that we give them and guiding them through exercise. You know, one study that Haley and I both work on is a weight loss study um, and kind of seeing if they can maintain that weight loss, you know, and working with those people like they're, you know, extremely grateful for the support, even if it's just listening to some of their complaints about their journey and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But I totally agree. Like our, my grad program, it, we had something that was called like, I I believe it was called like I team or I training. And it was something that they made like the whole um, like health science, like grad, grad, um, I guess, program go to. So like, it had like PT students, it had like nursing and different things. And we did it like once a month, I want to say, and it was basically like empathy training. Now, oh, that's awesome. It was really cool. But it was, 
I like, I think it was a step in the right direction. You know, it was like, it was one of the first things that I had really seen like it and it was really cool. But I think like including more things like that to me in like in the education aspect going into the field would be helpful. Cause I know like it helped it, the whole point of it was to help prevent like empathy burnout, you know, because we, we take on a lot from the people we work with, you know, you're listening to them, you know, you're hearing their struggles, their different mental health, um, um, troubles and things like that. Like, and I know for me, like when I was working in cardiac rehab, like there was somebody when I was doing their intake that basically said like, you know, earlier that day, they'd thought about killing themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, I mean, obviously nobody except for like trained mental health, um, specialists, you know, and therapists and things like that, you know, they have the most training for it, but it's like trying to get us a little bit more training to be like, okay, this is how you can handle that a little bit better. Like, obviously there's policies, you know, somebody says that like, we have to take them to the emergency department, but like, you know, beyond that, like how you are interacting with them, because like, like I as know a for, human, like, yeah, as, as a human, human not yeah, just like, like, oh, what is my policy? Yeah, so I have to exactly. take you to the emergency room. Yeah. yeah. I think that training that you did have and might not have, like you said, may not have been like the utmost of information, your empathy training, but that would have been so awesome to have. I think they need to implement that in a lot of these, um, degrees yeah there are so many people that are so sick and so sad and they just want it not necessarily to the extreme of needing to um, go to the er for whatever they said but just they're sad and they need somebody to talk to and sometimes it's so hard to you want them to know that you understand and that you're so sorry for them but it catches you off guard some days and it's just so hard to provide empathy um that you think they deserve so that is a huge thing that I think needs to be implemented um, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, and kind of going off of that, like talking about like our our education, things like that, you yeah. know, <clears throat> I kind of, for me, like, I mean, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but like my journey to get to this point was a little varied. You know, I went to um, a school in Western Maryland um, called Frostburg. We mm-hmm. did, I studied exercise and sports science, you know, and one of the big things for us is we, we did get a lot of like field experience and internship hours, which is really great. Yeah. Um, basically the big distinction there is you had a certain number of credit hours you had to complete for your field experience throughout like your four years. Um, but then your internship was like a like 400 hour like capstone internship. Mm-hmm. And so like I I did a bit of a blend of like strength and conditioning and I did do my like kind of kind of my capstone internship with cardiac rehab. But then I like did a repeat one in strength and conditioning because like I, yeah. I was I was really hardcore like going towards strength <laughs> and conditioning for a long time, um, you know, and I think the good thing about it was is we had a lot of hands on experience, but I felt like some of the areas like exercise physiology like you know that was like a class we had but like I was not well educated on the sciences aspect of it like Mm -hmm. I think and I'm not like faulting the program at all like I think it did a good job in its different specialties 
But I know that like when I then did go back to grad school for exercise oh, yeah. physiology, yeah. I was like, I was having to study my ass off because it's like, like a I whole was, new world. It is. Yeah. Like you work your butt off for four years to get your degree in undergrad um, in whatever exercise science, kinesiology, whatever your program yep. calls it. But as soon as you go to grad school, it's like a brick wall yeah. that's like 50 feet tall. And it's like, you've never heard the word science in your life. <laughs> Climate. Yeah, seriously. Like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy, you know? Um, but yeah, like I said, I was kind of going towards strength conditioning for a while. I, I went down the path of, there was a GA position that a uh, grad assistant position that opened up at Frostburg. Um, and it was, it was kind of weird because there wasn't any GA positions open in the strength conditioning department. So like I was hired through one department and working there, but also working for the strength conditioning department. It was a little strange, but it mm-hmm. worked out. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Like I like working with athletes, working in a gym is a ton of fun. Like, you know, I bet, you know, your, your programming form. I mean, you were an athlete, like, you, you know, I'm sure it wasn't fun for you all the time, but yeah, like, no, not the other end, <laughs> not, not on the other end, but like, <laughs> but exercise programming on that scale is really cool. Definitely. Um, but when you have free time, you know, when you're not working, like you can work out, you know, awesome. we, we would go and play racquetball. Like, you know, you had a lot of like fun stuff, you know, that you could do. Yeah. Um, you know, but like kind of as my, like, I think after my first year, you know, I was really kind of weighing out, like, you know, what do I want to do? Do I, do I want to continue down this path? You know, and strength conditioning is a great field. Um, but it can be one that's difficult to sustain for some people, you know, Mm -hmm. some people get great positions like our, the head strength coach at Frostburg, he loves it there. He's been there for a long time. Um, you know, and he just does a great job with the program there. Um, but also, if you want to get, keep climbing to get higher pay, higher things like that, like a lot of times your job security drops a little bit. Yeah. You also have to be willing to move around a lot. And at the time, like that wasn't a big draw to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then I was looking at different programs and I ended up going back to school at the University of Delaware for clinical exercise physiology. Um, and it was really cool. It was a year condensed, a year long condensed program. Um, we started in June. And then graduated the following May. And we had like a week off, I want to say between like summer session and start of fall session. Yeah. But other than that, like it was pretty much straight, straight through. Yeah. 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 Um, But and like the first the first month of June was just classes. But after that, you had clinical rotations and we had those basically the whole time. Mm -hmm. Not until we graduated because COVID started in February, but at that point, most of us had about like 500 hours of clinical hours. Um, yeah. And at that point in time, the ACSM like changed their uh, oh, guidelines yeah. because, mm-hmm. of, because of diminished clinical hours yeah. uh, for that class. Um, but yeah, it, I really enjoyed it. You know, I think everybody like chooses where they go to grad school or what they want to study for their own reasons, obviously. Yeah. Um, but for me, that year long condensed program was really good. Like it, like one, I, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I kind of always, always questions my own intelligence, to be honest. I just, I just, you know, yeah. Like it's just something that you just do. Um, and so like for me going there was as much learning, but it was also like proving to myself, like I can go to grad school for something that's actually like difficult, you know, like, for sure my my the the grad program I did at Frostburg like it was fine like but it was it was more of just classes that you took and you just kind of you did and it was okay yeah Delaware like I I had to study a lot and oh yeah you know like it same was, with mine it was great yeah yeah 
I guess transitioning into me and how I got involved in physiology, basically, um, my life always revolved around sports, um, exercise. Um, I really was always interested in all that type of science stuff. Going into undergrad, I didn't know what I was going to do. I got recruited to play D3 soccer. So I was kind of already in the mix of a lot of the athletic trainers, a lot of the, um, just student athletes who were in exercise programs. So I kind of just took it upon myself and went, started studying for kinesiology. So that's where I got, I got my bachelor's degree in kinesiology eventually. Um, After four years, a lot of our um, kinesiology program was based off of physiology and like anatomy. Um, Not so much physiology. I mean, a little bit, we dabbled in nothing crazy like grad school, Mm -hmm. Um, but anatomy, definitely a lot. That's pretty Um, cool. Like you said, we did have some like field tests and stuff like weird, like run around the track and like figure out what your VO2 (laughs) is like weird stuff like that. It was still hard though. Like Mm -hmm. exercise science is not easy. It was definitely difficult. I definitely had to study. Um, Like everyone says, like college is a whole different type of studying than high school. Like it is. And if you're going into science and you have to study physics and chemistry, good luck because that that is just hard and that's what I also don't like about undergrad you are so well-rounded you have to take the chems you have to take the um physics you have to take all these different labs that you're like I'm never going to do this again like what's the angle of this projectile like but (laughs) I'm never going to use that yeah ever but I have to do it to get my undergrad so that's what that's what was hard about undergrad how wide scoped it was Mm -hmm. um and then um, I dabbled in some research as well in undergrad. I worked under one of my exercise science professors. She did like a, a little small study, um, a grant through the, the school itself. And she was looking at the differences of different um, climates um, and environments of people who are exercising. And in this case, juggling. So she would look okay. at a climate or a task environment, which is um, typically defined as just easy to learn environment. It's very encouraging. It's positive. It's motivational. It's a welcoming coaching um, atmosphere. Yeah. That's pretty cool. While ego was like judgmental. It was hard to learn. It was the coach being like, so-and-so did this. This is why we lost. It was all her (laughs) fault. She didn't do that. Very distrusting, um, very distrusting, abrasive atmosphere. So she would take those two climates and she would have a a sort of juggling study. So you would have an ego coach and then a task coach. And we would look at the um, stress levels in the athletes trying to learn juggling from these different types of coaches um, and how stress affects performance. Mm -hmm. And we would look at the stress hormone cortisol. Um, Mm -hmm. it was very interesting. It was cool. So that's kind of where I think led me into my position now today. Research is just cool. That's all I have to say about that. It's pretty cool. You Um, got to do that in your undergrad. Like we, we didn't have anything like that at Frostburg. So that's pretty awesome. It was cool. And I did it for about like, it wasn't super intensive. Like what we do now, obviously it was very laid back, but it was like over a span of like two years, just casually helping out with the juggling study. I mean, it was just, it was cool. It was fun. That's awesome. So after that, since I realized once I graduated with my undergrad that I didn't have too many career options um, that pleased me, 
So yeah. I felt like I had to go to grad school. I had to get my master's degree to be specialized in certain things because you do know a lot when you graduate with your bachelor's, but you know mm-hmm. a whole lot more when you graduate with your master's. Definitely. So I felt like I had to do um, that. So same was Wes. I had an accelerated one year, one calendar year program from start to finish, um, clinical hours, all those things. But the classes were a hell of a lot harder. Um, <laughs> yeah. Physiology was in great detail. EKG yeah. class, great detail. You had to learn every single population, um, all the different disease types, how they're affected by exercise. It was um, it was a lot. I mean, but grad school, grad school isn't easy, um, like I said. Um, yeah you saying that like just reminded me of like we had to learn flashbacks yeah flashbacks (laughs) to like looking at the whiteboard in the classroom oh god yeah like we had we had to learn like the um the partial and like plural pressures for like oxygen flow like yeah you know and it's just like that is it's really cool like science-based stuff it is but it's like I haven't thought about that since I was in grad school quite as much you know so it's it's a lot goes into it that I feel like that it's just not not a lot of people know. Yeah, and it, I mean it's not for everybody, no. but for the people who do get through it and succeed, congratulations because um, you deserve a pat on the back. Um, but our grad school, we went to classes year round, and we <laughs> had to get our different internship hours or clinical hours. Um, there were about ten different sites they sent us to. So basically, oh, they wow. made a calendar, and they were mm-hmm. like, Haley is going here, 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 and here on this day at this time make it there and then come to class afterwards. So it was, um, it was just a lot. I mean, but I got through it. Wes got through it. We did it. Um, and I mean, it just shapes you into a a great, a great, um, EP. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think having to me, like the way I always learn best is having that like hands-on experience with the classes, you know? So like, if I, if like we hadn't had those like internships, at the same time as we were learning that information, like I definitely think it would have been a little bit more difficult for me. Um, but that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think like with you, like you graduated, I guess, like what, a year after me, I guess. Yeah, I think so. So, so like, how was your program with COVID? Like ours, we kind of like came to a standstill February of 2020. And then we, we, um, we resumed online because we already had okay. like we had our exam prep course um which exam prep it basically and we're going to talk about this here in a few minutes but um you know the ACSM certification is a big exam that if you want to have the certification that's what you take and we mm-hmm. had a whole class that was dedicated towards that um and that was already online based prior to covid and then so they kind of just took that format and applied it to our other courses and we did like daily Zoom meetings for classes and stuff. Um, but like, how was yours with, yeah, how was it so affected by COVID? I didn't, I started grad school, I think it was August of 2020. So we were in COVID for what, like four or five months at that at that point. Yeah. So our classes started, I think in August, but they were like just classes. Like you said, there was no any sort of clinical hours so we had those classes online so our first semester they called it like summer session yeah was like two or three months long all online um classes and then by the time fall came probably like end of september Mm -hmm. um we were full on in the classroom and we were told like you need to be here 
We yeah. COVID is not going away. If you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated, wear your mask, stay six feet apart. We're getting in here because you need your clinical hours. Like we don't have a choice. Yeah. So basically when the vaccine came around, I think it was like following January, February, um, we were all like pleaded to please get it so we can stay in our program because they were so worried about us lacking the amount of clinical hours to be able to graduate. Yeah. So we were like full on full force by end of fall in the clinical, um, internships wearing double masking it and 95s, another mask on top face yeah. shield, you know, full yeah. everything just to go to clinical hours. in. luckily by the time we were vaccinated and like two months afterwards, we had about a few months left of our graduate program. We were able to lay it off just a tad, but I mean, yeah. it was hard. Like Definitely. you're going to grad school and you're just stressed in general. And then you have this pandemic that's here and yeah. you're like, am I going to graduate? Yeah. Like, and like, are you going to be like, you know, that it was like a big concern, like with like nurses and things like that too. It oh, was yeah. like, you know, how are you guaranteeing that like same level of education if you're not able to do that, like the clinical and clinicals and things like that? It's just, yeah, that was a lot. It is a lot. I don't know. Um. But yeah, like, you know, we were talking a little bit about like the certification, like, we're like, we can dive into this a little bit more, like, you know, separately, yeah. as well. But like, definitely, the, the big thing is, is a lot of different careers, obviously have certifications. The big one for us is the ACSM CEP. Um, so CEP just sounds stands for clinical exercise physiologist. Um, that is kind of like the gold standard for our field. Yeah. That's not saying that if you don't have it, like you're not going to be successful. Like there's mm -hmm. a couple of people I've worked with that don't have it or like we're in the process of getting it once they, while they already had a job. Um, you know, so it's just whatever you kind of choose for yourself. Like my program that I went to for grad school, that was built into the program. You know, we had a class that was dedicated to prepare you for it. Um, i believe i mean my memory is a little foggy at this point but i believe like <laughs> the cost of like registration and everything for the exam was covered wow um, which was really great go to delaware everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously it was it was good yeah shout out to my program that was wow it, it, that was nice um you know now if you had to retake the exam obviously like that was that was on you at that point but like yeah um you know, you took the exam prior to graduating was the plan. Um, awesome. COVID kind of changed that a little bit. You know, you, some people did it at home. I personally have a little too much anxiety about that to do that. So oh, I, heck no. I, yeah, I did it at a testing center once yeah. they like reopened. Cause I was like, if their computers mess up, that's on them, not on mm -hmm. me. Um, but so basically just like, I'm not going to go too hard into it, but generally speaking, if you are have a master's degree, you have to have basically 600 hours of clinical experience mm -hmm. to sit for the exam. Um, now, they have everything laid out online to see what exactly qualifies as that. Yeah. I know at Delaware, we worked with somebody from ACSM that like, awesome. we submitted it to, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, you also can get this degree. I mean, not this degree, this certification um, <laughs> with a bachelor's degree, but you basically have to double the amount of clinical experience you yeah. have to be able to sit for it, um, which I think is a, a fair trade-off. You know, I think, I think so. I think things should be accessible to people that didn't go to the higher, like go to the higher education, yeah. um, you know, but I think that that makes sense, at least in my opinion. It's fair. I yeah. think so. Um, you know, but that is really the big thing, you know, it's kind of, to me, it helps create like a set, a bit of a standard for the quality of EPs coming into the field. 
Um, you know, if you have that base knowledge, like you pass that exam, you know, okay, you at least know these certain things, you mm-hmm. know, which I think is a big thing to me. Um, but I know for me, the worst part was just the anxiety going into the That's test, same. you know, like that was <laughs> we, just terrible. Good thing we didn't study together because uh, we've just been a <laughs> yeah. shit show. It would have been really bad. <laughs> So our program didn't set us up to take the exam. Really? Um, we were highly encouraged to, obviously, because okay. we just studied our butts off for the last year, um, yeah. basically for it. But I like how your program basically made it like your final, kind of like yeah. take this test. This is your final. This is just part of it. Yeah. Um, ours didn't. Um, and I was also in a really stressful time in my life once I graduated mm-hmm. um, for graduate school. So I wasn't even thinking about the ACSM test. It yeah, took that's, me that's about, fair. yeah, it took me about a year afterwards. I took okay. it, I passed, woohoo, got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was um, hard. The test yeah. is hard. You have I mean, to study. Yeah, like more power to you, like for doing it like a year after. Like I know for me, like it was <laughs> yeah. like it was like two months after classes ended, and I was stressed because I was like, it's been <laughs> two months. Everything. Like yeah, like so like good for you for being able to do it like a year Thanks. after. Like that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, guys. So if you yeah. are thinking about taking the test, take it ASAP. Don't yeah. be like me. Um, but I basically just retaught myself a lot of things, um, refreshed my brain on a lot of things. I was really stressed about the math part because math and my brain don't work too well. So I was freaking out about math. Um, especially a year later, I was like, how do I add, um, freaking out. Um, I'm just an overthinker, lots of anxiety, but all I have to say is study really hard. If you're in your master's program, take it immediately. If you're not get those clinical hours, get exposure, know your populations. Um, and you'll, you'll succeed. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like to me, I think, I don't know. I had a conversation with like our program director from Delaware. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, she like admitted, she was like, I make things more challenging than the exam is, you know? So she's like, but like, you know, in your head, you're like, man, I'm struggling to get through these classes and stuff like that, you know? And then you go to take the test. And like, I remember sitting there and like, it wasn't easy. Like, don't get me wrong, but there was a couple of times like where I was like, okay, this seems kind of simple. But then when you like click submit and you're like waiting for your results, oh, like that is the God. biggest stress. Yeah. Um, I also took mine at a testing center because yeah. I graduated with a few people who took it at home. Okay. Um, you do like the whole, like you scan your room, make sure there's no notes hiding anywhere. There's like yeah. somebody watching you through your camera. Like that would freak me out. Me too. Bottom line. But she was taking the exam and it shut off on her That's during terrible. it. And then ACM was like, we can't do anything about it. And she had oh, to wow. fight for her right to like, I need to take this test again. It wasn't my error. It was like, I was like, absolutely not. I'm going to a testing center that day. My, I don't know if I've ever been so stressed in my life about a test. (laughs) I was driving there. I basically probably was like borderline going to throw up, Uh went down, sat down for the test. And basically you sit down in this room, like this little cubicle and you have Uh this little, um, like computer set up and they give you like a little whiteboard that erases and they're like this is the only piece of paper you have and I'm like I need more paper than this yeah um no calculators you have to use the online calculator and using online calculators are not cool no Um, doesn't work the same no and you basically just answer you see the questions for example I don't remember how many questions it was but for example it was like one out of a hundred and every time you hit next you just kept getting closer and closer and closer to the end I remember I had like 
two questions left. I look up and I'm like, I have two questions left until I, (laughs) I have to physically hit the submit button and then it calculates immediately and gives you your test score. I'm like, how am I supposed to voluntarily do that? I know. Yeah. (laughs) After I just sat here for two hours and I'm questioning everything that I know, my heart was beating out of my chest. Yeah. Same way. Like I like, I definitely like closed my eyes after I clicked submit. Did you really? Yeah. Like, like, and I'm not like an extremely religious person, but I like definitely said a prayer like before I like looked at the screen just because, you know, like there's just so much build up to that. You know, you've been going to grad school, studying your butt off. You just sat for two, three hours taking this test. Oh my gosh. It's tough. I don't know. And, and like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I don't know. I, I think there's a whole debate about like certifications and things like that. And I yeah. I already talked about my opinion a little bit. Like, I think to me, if if it's an affordable option for you, I think it's something that's worthwhile. Like, yeah, okay. I think, yeah, like it's some certifications like are 100% in my opinion, money makers, you know, oh, like, yeah. like I had a couple that were catered towards strength and conditioning that I, I really enjoyed them. And I learned a lot when I did the courses, but like one I had was every year it had to be renewed. And it was like, you had to renew your membership to the organization and your certification. Oh, wow. And like, it was like two to $300 every year. And that, and like, that's That's too much. It it just doesn't make sense. You know, whereas like ours is every three years, you have to have Mm -hmm. like around 60 uh, CEU hours. Um, And like, you can do that through, you know, different classes, things like that through ACSM, you can apply different ones to it, you can do um, conferences, you have a lot of different options that like, and hospitals too, if you work at a hospital, there's a lot of grand rounds almost weekly, and you can get CEU credit for that as well. Yeah, and that's awesome, because that's free, because that's where we work, you know. Um, But like, I mean, what do you think? Like, I to me, like, if you can't afford it, I totally get like, you may be not doing it until you know, you have the money saved up, but like, to me, I, I would want to have it if it's possible. Yeah, I agree. I, um, in the meantime, like the down period between not having it and studying for it that year mm-hmm. after I graduated, um, I'm always like a job looker. I just like yeah. to look on LinkedIn and indeed just to see what people do as EPs as well, just to broaden my atmosphere of job, mm-hmm. um, opportunities. Um, every, almost every single job requires it. I also just sat down for a few um, interviews at my later yeah. part of rehab just to see what I wanted to do after rehab because I knew I was getting close to my end there. Yeah. Um, literally the second question every single time is, do you have your ACSM, CEP? Are you going to get it? If you yeah. do get this job, will you be able to get it in three months? Like, yeah. I think it just brings a relief to the whole job applying process yeah, knowing that you have it. Yeah, like I know that the manager for the rehab that I worked at, he, um, it was kind of funny, like when I got hired, I was, I like somehow had fallen through the cracks, like he was oh, like, no. yeah, he was like, basically what he was like, I told the recruiters that I wanted somebody that either had their master's degree, the certification or both, you yeah. know, yeah. and like, I had both and somehow like I applied you still in, like, were not I, yeah. good enough <laughs> no, like I applied in November and I didn't hear anything back until like January oh my gosh like, it was kind of crazy and it was just like I fell through the cracks somehow and then got and passed along and then you know and, you know the rest is history but yeah you know I I agree like to me that's a big question that gets asked I know while I was working at that rehab um, we hired like a new grad. Um, I think like she went to the same program as you, but like a year or two later. Okay. Um, 
and um you know she like still had to sit for the exam you know and yeah. then did that within her first couple months with us you know mm-hmm. bottom um, line I think you get to the point where you just sit down as a EP and you just gotta take it I agree I really do yeah I think it's I think it's just something you should do like yeah I don't know some people will say you don't and think you know eventually professional experience kind of outweighs it and I'm not going to say they're wrong but I think it's something that's really important to have especially as a new EP to prove yourself it's hard to even get (laughs) like a lot of people who don't have it and have all these years of experience um that's great but it's hard to do that it's hard to get that first job and maintain that experience because most of the time they want the ACSM certification anyways so it's hard starting off as a very young EP without one and expecting to just use your profession in the long run to outweigh it definitely 100 percent um so kind of like finishing off today we want to just kind of talk about some of the struggles that we've had like in our career as EPs like yeah we've kind of talked about that you know we're still early on our careers Mm -hmm. um but this is one of the things that kind of stood out to us that was you know that we had a lot of similarities um, so what, like, what are some of the struggles that you've had kind of like so far in your career? Uh, I mentioned it before, but I think compensation, compensation yeah. is hard for EPs, especially young ones. You really got to prove yourself. There's no sort of licensure out there like Wes yeah. was talking about. So it's hard to give us the payment I believe we deserve, yeah. especially with all the schooling that we have on top of certifications that are required. Compensation does not accurately reflect that. And it could be hard to work a possession possession work a profession that you're so passionate about and not be compensated fairly yeah definitely and then that that runs into trust as well um letting people doctors nurses trust us in their hands of their patients regarding exercise progression improvement things like that yeah no i i totally agree like i i remember i don't know i feel like when you're like in school and stuff like you kind of have like oh, like, I'm going to get my degree, like, I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to make, like, tons and tons of money, you yeah. know, um, and, like, that's a great goal to have, but I <laughs> I don't, I don't think that, in general, like, that is realistic for an EP starting out, no. I think, I think if licensure becomes a thing, like, that is, like, most definitely going to be an increase to, like, starting definitely. pay of EPs, because, like, you're going to be a billable service, um, and, like, like, I mean, this is a debate for another episode, but like, you know, the, unfortunately the healthcare system in the United States is, is money driven. You know, they want to yeah. care, they want to care for people, obviously, like that's why people do it. But a lot of hospitals functions as a business, you know, they, they need to make profit to then, you know, funnel back into care for patients and, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'll get on my soapbox about that a little <laughs> bit, but, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you would be another billable service for them if we had licensure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think, you know, when I started out, you know, it was like, I was like, not, not shocked. Like I kind of expected it was not going to be like what I was like dreaming of, yeah. you know, but it was like, you know, starting out and like people that like chose a different career path are making like way more than me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, like, did I make the wrong choice? Exactly. You know? Um, but like, I don't know. Like there's also days where like, I don't know, you and I worked yesterday and like we were in the gym for half the day and then we were doing strength testing with people in the afternoon and, yeah you know, and then like for our break that day, like we worked out, you know, and, and it's like, okay, 
like that's pretty cool like there's not you know it's pretty cool like there's not a lot of jobs where you can like you know you're basically in a gym and then you're strength testing people and then you're working out like that it's it's a pretty cool field it's just there's some challenges that come along with it for sure definitely um you know and one big thing that I've kind of struggled with is like trying to find different directions that you can take your career like 100 percent yeah like rehab is a great option and there's becoming different types of rehab and like research is something that like I'm, you know, like we said, I'm kind of getting into now and you've been at for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but like, I I remember like one time, like I was looking into, um, you know, different types of, uh, exercise programming for like people that have went underwent like hormone replacement therapy, things like that, you know, and just like the amount of research behind that, um, is like, still like relatively untouched, you know, yeah, like there is some definitely. there, um, you know, and I spoke with somebody that was in like a PhD program in the UK and they were talking to me some about that. And it's, it's very interesting. Cause it was like, I was trying to go down that path of like, okay, like let's look into this, you know, that unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it, it, but it's like a bit of a, a hot topic nowadays of like people debating like a hormone replacement therapy and like how that like affects mm-hmm. people you know, and I think like, that's like another whole path that like EPs could be a great benefit to, but like, is there's no like, okay, like I'm going to go to grad school and then like, I'm going to get a job doing that, you know? Exactly. So it's like, it's like not there. It doesn't exist yeah, right now. Exactly. So I think like, there's lots of cool opportunities for us to break into. It's just Definitely. figuring out how we break into them. And that's, that's not like a struggle. That's anybody's fault. That's just like a frustration that I know that I had. I agree. Um, but yeah, so th- like this was our first episode, you know, Yay. like, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Like, you know, I definitely was a little nervous coming into this, but like really happy that we're doing this. I agree. We're excited and thrilled to provide a platform for others, um, especially people like us, other EPs, others, other exercise heads who are interested in um, just the science, the body exercise movement um, and all of those things. Yeah, definitely. And if you like what you hear so far, please stay tuned each week. We're going to be releasing new episodes. Not all are going to be quite as long as this. Some are going to focus really in on other topics, mm-hmm. um, you know, and some bigger picture things, you know, we hope further down the road to maybe do some interviews with other people in the field. Yeah, definitely. You know. We want to help people who are EPs like us study for an exam, help out in different clinical situations, refresh their memory on different physiology aspects. Um, we're here for other exercise professionals who basically want to geek out about killer physiology like us. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's like Kaylee said, you know, we want to make it accessible to anyone, whether you're weighing out career options and you're like, hey, I want to know what it's like to be an EP. Or if you're just another EP like us and you want to hear what the struggles that we're having are or what we're doing day to day or like just our opinions or input of different things, Mm -hmm. this this is going to be the show for you. Definitely. Um, You know, so tune in next week. We're going to be diving in a little bit deeper into what working in cardiac rehab is like. Talk a little bit more about our experience with that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Bye.